If you have a Bible with you, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 to 32. Ephesians 4, verses 31 to 32. It's an important message, so please listen carefully to the Word of God. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. This new story caught the attention of the nation. On the night of June 17, 2015, a 22-year-old white supremacist by the name of Dylan Roof entered a black Charleston church for a Bible study. Twelve church members were already present and welcomed the newcomer as they prepared to study the Word of God together. Ruth sat through the entire 45-minute study, and as the group stood up to pray, they closed their eyes to end the session... And that's when Ruth fired 77 shots. Each victim was hit at least five times. Three people survived. Nine were killed. Ruth told one of the survivors that he was intentionally sparing her life so that she could tell the world he had killed the worshipers at church because he hated black people. And for his crimes, a jury convicted Ruth for all 33 federal charges he faced, and he was sentenced to death penalty. He was the first person ordered executed for a federal hate crime. Now, throughout the trial, Ruth was unrepentant, never asked the judge for mercy, eventually even defended himself got rid of his lawyer, and told jurors, quote, he felt he had to do it, end quote. On the day of of the formal sentencing hearing, the judge gave 35 family members a chance to speak directly to Ruth without prosecutors or the judge interrupting or asking questions. Ruth did not say anything throughout the entire proceeding. But what came out of the mouths of the victim's family members was truly remarkable. Although so many of them were still hurt and grieving, they nevertheless had the otherworldly fortitude and grace to look straight at the murderer and say, we forgive you. Sheila Capers, for example, the sister-in-law of Cynthia Hurd, went as far as telling Ruth that she prayed for Ruth's soul to be saved. She said to Ruth, if at any point before you are sentenced and you're in prison and you want me to come and pray with you, I will do that. Remarkable. 
Sheila's decision to forgive Ruth was typical of the rest of her family, and it literally shocked the nation. Reporters couldn't believe the reaction of the family members. Sheila and her family forced Christians all over the nation to ask themselves, to ask ourselves, am I strong enough? Am I gracious enough? Bold enough? Am I Christian enough to do what she did that morning in court? This morning, I want to talk to you about one of the most difficult things to do in life. But like so many other difficult things, I promise you, I assure you, that once it is achieved, it will bring you much reward and joy. This morning, I want to talk to you about forgiveness. The opposite of forgiveness is bitterness. And the first five words of today's scripture text form a straightforward command from God. And I quote, Get rid of all bitterness. Yet I know from personal experience that those five words are perhaps some of the most difficult words to obey on the face of this planet. It is hard to forgive. It is easy to be bitter. And to be honest, sometimes it feels good to be bitter as it makes us feel powerful. As if we're withholding forgiveness from an individual. But the truth is, bitterness kills. It kills relationships, and to be honest, it kills us slowly from the inside out. I believe it was Augustine who once said, bitterness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. All of us have been there, and all of us know that, that Augustine was right. While the person who wronged us goes on living life without a care in the world, we grow deeper in our own misery because we hold on to that bitterness. And if not pulled, bitterness has the ability to grow deep, long, lasting roots. Those of you who don't know this, Paul's letter to the Ephesians is really segmented into two parts. The first three chapters focus on our identity in Christ, whereas the last three chapters give us practical instructions how to live out the Christian life. Paul intentionally wrote his letter this way. And it was written this way because he wanted born-again people, Christians, to understand that we never earn our identities by doing more Christian stuff. That's not the way we became Christian, and that's not how we stay Christian. God did not love you because you did more things for Him, and He will not love you any less because you failed to do something for Him. Instead, we aim to live holy lives because of our identities in Christ. In other words, while most of the unbelieving world believes that what they do determines who they are, And some of you are slowly falling into that worldly pattern, believing in that the next stripe or the next rank is going to give you a a deeper sense of your identity. It won't, but you're believing into that lie. 
The unbelieving world believes that what they do determines who they are. Christians, however, believe that who we are determines what we must do. We're not doing good works in an attempt to earn our salvation, no. Rather, we do good works because Christ has already earned our salvation for us. Because Christ died for us, therefore we die to sin and the world. Our new identities determine our actions. And so as fish swims in water, so a Christian now strives for holiness. This is vital to living the Christian life because unless we get that right, unless we first understand chapters 1, 2, and 3, then an attempt to do chapters 4, 5, and 6 without first understanding and embracing 1, 2, and 3 will give us nothing more than a man-made, works-based religion. You get it backwards, and what you have is religion and not a relationship with God. It will not save Now, as human beings, it is inevitable that over the course of time, we will both offend and be offended. I hate to be the bearer of bad news. It's true. It's part of being human. In time, therefore, we will all need to forgive as well as be forgiven. It is strange, however, that while we love to be forgiven, we are very slow to forgive others. As Christians, we would do well to remember the words of Jesus in Matthew 6.14. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. That's the way it works. Maybe God is talking to you this morning. Is there someone in your life that you need to forgive? I urge you, don't put it off another day. Do it right away. Get right with God by getting right with others. Let go of that bitterness and experience the freedom of God's amazing love. Now take a look at verse 31. That's the way many of you used to live prior to meeting Christ. Is it not? The word all in verse 31 is what's known as a modifier. It not only modifies bitterness, but is essentially modifying all the other words that follow. Paul is essentially saying, now that you know the Lord, you must, in the power of the Holy Spirit, work actively at getting rid of all bitterness, all rage, all anger, all harsh words, and all slander. Dabbling in it just a little is not permitted as you seek to wage war against such destructive vices. Follow me closely here. In Christianity, there is always a process of removal and replacement. There's always a process of removal and replacement. God never leaves you stagnant or in a void. Instead, He always strives to make you better. Verse 31 is the removal verse. Alright, just note that. And then verse 32, on the other hand, is the replacement verse. After we get rid of all bitterness, we are to replace it 
with something. We are to replace it with kindness and a spirit of forgiveness. Why? Well, I'll give you three reasons why. Reason number one. Because it will save your relationships, especially your marriage. You know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's a lie, right? I'd rather get hit. Bruises heal pretty quickly. Because while scabs and bruises heal, words tend to stick around in our memories and they tend to hurt us over and over again. At the end of life, the only two things that matter will be our relationship with God and our relationship with people. Our words establish both. Our words establish both. Think about your friendships or your marriage. Communication is at the cornerstone of every single viable, valuable relationship. Whether it is our prayer lives or our conversations with our spouses, words matter. Without words, relationship doesn't occur. You ever thought about that? It's amazing, isn't it? Words are powerful, therefore, and can either build relationships, turn lives around, or destroy them. The Bible gives us very wise counsel this morning. Marriages are often destroyed one harsh word at a time. So many marriages would be saved if husbands and wives simply extended grace to each other instead of lashing out with harsh words. Words could be weapons of mass destruction. Keep in mind that once harsh words are let out, there's no erasing them. You could apologize, sure, but the words will stick in memories. And combined with bitterness, the spouse, intentionally or unintentionally, begins to keep a mental list of wrongs as the marriage begins to slip into a bottomless pit. Prevent that from happening. Sit down with your spouse and agree that no matter how bad the argument might get, there are some words you will never say to one another. Exercise kindness and be tender-hearted, full of compassion. Guard your mouth when you start feeling angry. Because remember this, you never have to apologize for harsh words you've never said. Right? Reason number two, it will preserve your own sanity. Remember the Augustinian quote I opened with at the beginning? Bitterness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. It's true. Don't listen to me and leave here holding on to your grudge. Watch what happens to your soul. By choosing to remain bitter, you are literally drinking poison. You are hurting yourself and you're slowly becoming a hateful person. A few years ago, when I first bought my first home, I came across a neighbor who was 80 years old. And he introduced himself to me by 
slandering and cursing out the man who used to own the, own the home I just purchased. Apparently, while the other man still owned and lived in my home, the two of them did not get along. And things got so bad that they shot BB guns at each other's windows. And the feud lasted for years. The men hated each other. Then they began hating each other's kids. The kids were all grown and they were still hating each other. And although the old man didn't have anything against me personally, to be honest with you, just listening to all his bitterness made me want to avoid him. Indeed, I later discovered that the man lived alone. None of his children ever visited. None of his kids. In fact, he had one grown nephew that once, around, once in a while came to cut the weeds for him, but all of his own children stayed away from him. And likewise, the neighbors stayed away. I felt really bad for him. And we've all seen similar examples in life. Kids tend to move out quickly from homes filled with anger and harsh words. Employees tend to avoid bosses who are always grumpy and filled with bitterness. Friends are lost when slander abounds. Listen, I don't know about you, but I don't need more verse 31 people in my life. I need more verse 32 people around me. And not only do I want more verse 32 people in my life, I want to become a verse 32 person myself. Amen? Let's strive for that. And finally, reason number three, we forgive because Christ forgave us. Let's be honest, it's really easy to be a verse 31 person. It just comes naturally. We wake up out of bed and we're grumpy. It is really hard, however, to be a verse 32 person 24-7. So how are we to do it? The answer is through the power of the Holy Spirit and by continually remembering what Christ has done for us. Remember the gospel. Remember that all of us deserved eternal punishment in hell for our sins. Yet God loved us so that He sent His only Son, Jesus, who was fully God and man, and He died on the cross for our sins. Three days later, Jesus rose again from the grave so that if you would repent from your sins and believe in Jesus as your Lord, God, and Savior, you will have eternal life and have all of your sins forgiven. And the only thing that could condemn a soul to hell is unforgiven sin. So if you're a believer in Christ this morning, God forgave you of all your sins through the blood of Jesus Christ. Therefore, if God forgave you of all of your sins, then you ought to be able to extend that same love to others and forgive them the wrongs that they've committed against you. And I believe that's what Sheila did. That African-American church that experienced harsh tragedy. I think all the family members so experienced the forgiveness of God in their own lives through the cross of Christ, and therefore they were able to forgive someone the world would deem unforgivable. 
As verse 32 states, forgive one another just as God through Christ has forgiven you. There's the secret. You might sit there and tell me, but pastor, you don't know what she did to me or he did to me. That's fine. I don't need to know. God knows and he still wants you to forgive. Forgive one another just as God through Christ has forgiven you. When you forget the magnitude of God's forgiveness toward you, that's when you become cheap in your forgiveness towards others. I'm going to close this morning with a story of a Christian author. Many of you know him. His name is Josh McDowell wrote a very famous book, More Than Just a Carpenter. He was an atheist in college, and the book is sort of a small book cataloging his journey from atheism to faith. What a lot of people don't know, however, is that Josh grew up on a farm. His home was dysfunctional. His father was an alcoholic, and he drank two or three bottles of wine every day for 30 years. And when he was young, Josh one day came home and discovered his dad beating his mom to a bloody pulp with a horsewhip in the farm. And he was a small kid, so he couldn't do anything. But he, that day he vowed in his heart that one day, when he got bigger and stronger, he would kill his dad. His father was known as a town drunk. And that took a toll on Josh's family. Josh's sister killed herself. Another sister volunteered for the front lines of World War II just just to get away from the home as a nurse. Another brother ran away from home, and then another brother sued his parents for everything they had. As a result, Josh grew up hating his father. According to Josh... He said, I chose hate by an act of my will because I grew up believing that he had killed my mother and destroyed my family. But one day in college, Josh turned his life over to Jesus Christ. It was a magnificent conversion. He became a Christian. And the first dramatic change occurred in an encounter with his father. Although he was a new believer, Josh went and found his father, met him at a diner, and he said words he thought he would never say, Dad, I love you. Later, Josh admitted, I don't know who was more surprised, him or me. And that's when I knew Christianity was true. I wasn't used to that. I was used to loving those I wanted to love and hating those I wanted to hate. I never had the capacity to love those I chose to hate. That's when I knew this Jesus stuff was real. And things really changed in their relationship afterwards. While still in college, Josh was involved in a very serious car accident. Two weeks in intensive care in the hospital, they took him home, secured him to a bed where he couldn't move because they were afraid of damage to his neck and his lower back. And after the ambulance left, a few minutes later, Josh's father walked into the room. He was surprised. Josh was surprised. He paced back and forth, and the father suddenly blurted out, Son, how could you love a father like me? 
And that's when Josh responded, Dad, six months ago I hated you. I despised everything that you stood for. But Dad, I learned one thing, that God became man. His name is Jesus, and he is passionate about a relationship with you. His dad got up and walked out of the room, and Josh tells the story, and he says at that point he thought, boy, did I blow that. But 45 minutes later, his dad comes back into the room. And you know what he said? He says, son, if God can do in my life what I've seen him do in yours, I want to give him the opportunity. And right there, Josh led his father in prayer to accept Jesus as his Lord and Savior. Josh says, it was as if someone reached down and turned on a light bulb. His dad only touched alcohol one time after that. It was, he, put, he, he brought the bottle to his lips and he put it down and that was it. Never again drank alcohol. And furthermore, his dad would go into state prisons and share Jesus with all the inmates. He would go downtown where before the town doctor, lawyer, engineer, everyone used to cross the street just to ignore him. They would now go in and sit down in the same booth with him at a diner just to hear him talk. His father's life was truly miraculously changed. But sadly, due to all those years of drinking, three-quarters of his stomach had to be removed and his entire liver was destroyed. Just 14 months after accepting Jesus, Josh's dad passed away. But to this day, Josh says that in those 14 months, he learned what it meant to have a father, even though it was brief. It was in those 14 months, 100 people came to Christ as a result of his dad. Josh said that after his father died, he was finally able to say, Lord, thank you for dad. Not because he wanted to be like that, but because he was simply thankful for him. And he believes that gratitude and forgiveness played a powerful healing role in his life. Ultimately, forgiveness freed Josh. He had so much bitterness and resentment against his father. But that day, Jesus took it all away. And friend, I share this story with you today because some of you are carrying that root of bitterness around, and it's growing. All of us need healing and forgiveness. So if today you know that God has forgiven you through Christ Jesus, let's remove the bitterness and forgiveness and Forgive. Let's remove the bitterness and forgive those who've wronged us. And let's let the healing process begin. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the cross of Christ. Only Jesus could do.